Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Cross Point Church Scripture Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Josiah. I'm here to. I'm driving the motorcycle, and you're in the sidecar, and we're going to talk about. <laughs> we're going to talk about um, a verse of the day uh, today, and we're going to look at its context and how we can see Jesus in the verse. And uh, just see if we can deepen the context and all towards um, understanding the Bible a little better today. We're not going to understand the whole thing, but just trying to understand the Bible a little better and uh, increase the amounts of the Bible that we become familiar with and also be able to apply scriptures to our lives in a way that's not just responsible. You know, we don't want to take and misapply scripture. It's dangerous and there's lots of stuff in the Bible about not doing that. So we don't want to take scriptures and misapply them to our lives. But we also want to be proactive and joyful and zealous to say, you know, I know that this scripture is good for me. I know that the Bible is inspired by God to correct, reproof, and build me up in my faith. So uh, we want to use it that way. And the best way to do it is to use it how it was intended. And uh, as you know, if you've been listening or if you uh, all along or if you've just been on for a couple podcasts, um, one of the foundational things we believe here on the podcast is that context is king. That if you look at scriptures, um, if you look at one verse at a time, you're likely to do yourself a little bit of harm. But when you put it back into um, its context, you're likely to see more about it, not less. Okay, And the deeper that you understand a scripture, the actually the more powerful and um, able to apply it to your life and the more faith building it will be. All right. Now, today's verse is extremely interesting. I actually think um, that today with today's verse, if you don't know the context, you can do a lot of harm to yourself with this verse. So I'm excited to do it. Um, another reason I'm excited to do this one is it's uh, a verse concerning prayer. And uh, one of the things I get to do here at Crosspoint is be um, a part of the prayer ministry. And so I, I, I love prayer. Uh, it's one of the things that saved my life when I came back to Christ from a life of uh, meth and alcohol addiction. Uh, prayer was a mainstay for me, and I wanted to learn more about it. And so I started out, on t- at 21 years old, I started out on this adventure of prayer. And the Lord has been taking me down all the twists and turns in the adventure ever since. And I've had dead ends, and I've had hard times, and I've had mountaintop experiences where I could not believe what I was seeing. So... Um, If that's been your experience too, or you'd like to get started on a journey like that, then prayer is for you. Prayer in the name of Jesus is for you, but you better be ready. You need to be ready. It's not, um, now I lay me down to sleep. It's, you know, biblical prayer is going to involve you in the drama of, of good versus evil and the redemption of mankind, and it's a deep thing. So when you get into it, then you're going to need the Bible by your side. Okay. I don't want to go rambling down that trail, but it's exciting. All right, so now I said some hard things about this verse. I said that if you didn't understand its context, it could really do some damage to you, and especially in your prayer life. So hopefully I've got your curiosity peaked. So let's look at the verse, all right? It comes from Mark, the Gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. So the Gospel of Mark, chapter 11, verse 24, is our verse from the day. And reading from the ESV version, it says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. Okay. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. I think it could become obvious um, right away why this verse could do some damage if you don't understand the context. So if you just cut it out, if you use scissors and just cut it out of your Bible, it makes it look like if you can just believe and it's like whatever that means, you know, I guess for a lot of us, it's like if you can just logically or emotionally 
convince yourself that that God heard what you just said and he's going to give it to you or for other people it's been if you can just repeat it like a mantra over and over and over again until your brain kind of shuts off and you believe that you have received it then it'll be yours or if you can stay away from people who have doubting words that you know they'll say hey man I just no matter how much you believe Pastor Josiah that your hair is going to grow back I think you just have male pattern baldness and that it's not going to grow back and you what you need to do is unfriend those people and block their numbers and stay away from their unbelieving words and in that way you can believe that you have received your hair back so there's just a whole dangerous way to go down this road of any kind of psychological or emotional tricks to try to convince yourself that you believe you've received what you just asked for and it will be yours and the danger here is taking this verse out of context and thinking that it's giving you some sort of a secret key to prayer because that's not what the original author was trying to communicate to his original audience, so it isn't what the Bible means here. Mark was not suddenly dipping down to give us um, a mystical secret to how to get what you want from God. The only way that you could believe that is if you rip this verse out of context and won't look at the rest of the story surrounding it. There is a point here, Jesus is trying to make a point, and if we get it, it is going to add, um, it get, it, less than adding power to our prayer life, what it's going to do is it's going to get us into what an actual prayer life is. It's going to save us from thinking that a prayer life is a way of getting what you want from God, and it's going to help us understand what prayer is all about. Okay, now if you're listening today and you're hearing a lot of what I'm saying right now and it's messing with some of your theology or messing with some things that you believe, one legitimate thing I could think you might be thinking right now is you're getting a little skeptical of me, like, oh, you're one of those frozen chosen type people who think that, you know, prayer is just some sort of like ritual you go through because God told you to, but you're not supposed to believe that God will actually do anything that you pray for. And I say that that skepticism, I understand it and it's fair, but it's absolutely not what I'm talking about. I believe and I have seen that you, when you pray to God and you're in his will and you understand what he's trying to do and your priorities are his priorities, there is no limit to what he will do in answer to your prayer. I believe that's the heart of this verse here. So I don't want you to turn me off right now thinking he's about ready to pour cold water all over supernatural answers to prayer or miraculous answers to prayer. No, I'm not. I'm trying to pour gasoline all over it. I say yes and amen to supernatural and incredible and powerful answers to prayer. We see them here at the church. I see them in my life. But the direction of your life, the sort of things you're asking God for, what, how do you see your prayer, what part does it play in your life is of the utmost importance here. And, and okay, so enough of opinion hour. I believe that the, what I just said there will be backed up when we look at the context of this verse, okay? So one more time, just by reminder, 11 and 24, Mark eleven twenty four says, Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So now we zoom out. We need to zoom out into Mark chapter 11. And uh, what we have here is a couple of episodes, okay? There's a couple of episodes that are put together on purpose. So first of all, there's a strange episode that starts in verse 12. We're still in Mark 11, but it starts in verse 12. It's strange to us, but I think with a little insight, we'll get it. So on verse 12, it says this, On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry, talking about Jesus, and seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. 
And when he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. This is one of those. <laughs> I mean, you have to get like give yourself credit if this is you. And then also when someone who's not familiar with the story of the Bible and Christianity and you've given them the Gospel of Mark to read, you cannot blame them for reading the story and just scratching their heads like, what in the world is going on here? I mean, is Jesus mad at the fig tree? Why didn't he just move over and get a fig off of another tree? He, he may no one ever eat fruit from you again. Holy Toledo. And those of you who are a little familiar with the story know that uh, the next episode will be Jesus cleansing the temple, cleaning the money changers out of the temple, turning their tables over and, and chasing them out, and then saying, you guys, have, the temple is supposed to be a prayer for the uh, house of prayer for the nations, and you've made it into a den of robbers. And then he'll go out of that, and the next episode is him and his disciples coming upon that tree again, uh, perhaps the next day, and they find it withered, absolutely dead, to the roots, dead. And they're like, Jesus, that fig tree that you cursed is dead. And that's where our verse comes in. That's where our verse of the day comes in is when Jesus is answering them when they say, this, this tree that you cursed is dead to the roots. So that adds more mystery. Like, What in the world's going on here? He comes up to it. He's hungry, wants figs. He finds only leaves and curses this tree so that it dies down to the roots. What in the world? All right. Well, there's a lot here. And uh, because we just have to keep within the time of our podcast and stuff like this, um, I'm going to have to cover things from like a 20,000 foot view. But if you want, as always, you can look deeper into any of these verses. Go to your commentaries, ask a friend. But um, today, I would just like to read this note. This comes from my ESV um, study Bible. And I thought it was really good. And it says it in a very succinct way. So in my note from the ESV study Bible, it says, you know, in answer to Jesus came and he found nothing but leaves. Since the fruit of the fig tree begins to appear about the same time as the leaves or a little after, the appearance of leaves in full bloom should have indicated that fruit in the form of green figs was already growing. Jesus' actions uh, here have symbolic importance, signifying the hypocrisy of all who have the appearance that they are bearing fruit, but in fact are not. So just stopping there, I think if you think about Jesus' actions throughout the Gospels, this starts to ring a bell. So Jesus is constant. The Pharisees will come after Jesus, say, hey, you're breaking our law by doing this. Jesus always goes after them by saying, you guys are trying to look righteous, but you're not. Um, John the Baptist starts off that way with the Pharisees. They come to see why he's baptizing people, and he says, you know, you guys are a brood of vipers. Instead of acting like you're holy, why don't you bear fruit in keeping with repentance? You see that? So that whole idea is a big motif throughout the entire Bible. Jesus calls himself the vine, and he says we are his branches, and that if we abide in him and stay in him, we will bear fruit that will last forever, but apart from him we can do nothing. So there's a whole huge branch running throughout the Bible, the Gospels, the New Testament, that you know in Christ we can bear fruit. So already we're seeing when Jesus comes to this fig tree, he's not mad at the tree. It's not about that. He's, this is a moving picture. It's a parable where he comes to the tree that looks like it's supposed to have fruit but doesn't. And uh, we read on with our note. Jesus' actions here have symbolic importance, signifying the hypocrisy of all who have the appearance that they are bearing fruit but in fact are not. The specific reference, though, is to Israel, since in the Old Testament, the fig tree often serves as a metaphor for Israel and its standing before God. And if you want to see where that is, some examples would be Jeremiah 8 and 13. Hosea 9, 10, and 16, 
Joel 1 and 7. So it's not all the places, but these are some places where the people of Israel are compared to a fig tree. Here, the cursing of the fig tree signifies the judgment of God on the fruitless Jewish people, see Mark 7 and 6, who had turned away from God into empty ritual and legalism. It is a visual parable to signify Jesus' unrequited search for the true fruit of worship, prayer, and righteousness in the Jewish nation and its religious practices. All right, so Jesus is pointing to something really big here where it's a part of the whole reason why he came. He came to his people to say, you guys have lost your way. Jesus came to call them back to the true God by him, the true God, appearing to them and saying, I am he. I am the one you say you're worshiping, but you're not. All right, so when Jesus curses this fig tree, that's the picture. He's saying, you guys are like this tree. You look like you have fruit, but you don't. That's why the next episode is Jesus goes to the temple uh, that was supposed to be, get that? It It looked like a house of prayer for all the nations, but when he went inside, it was actually a den of thieves and robbers. So the fig tree, then the temple, which he cleanses out, and then the next episode after he leaves the temple he's cleaned out as they passed in the morning verse 20 they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots and peter remembered and said to him rabbi so he's amazed the fig tree that you cursed has withered so it's an answer to uh, peter's amazement that this actually happened you know he's like jesus you use this fig tree as an example of fruitless you know things that appear they have fruit and they don't and it's actually dead down to the roots and there's an exclamation mark in in the ESV here, Peter was like blown away that this simple word that Jesus spoke against the tree, you know, so to speak, came true. And it's an answer to that in verse 22 that Jesus says, and Jesus answered them, have faith in God. So Peter's amazed and Jesus is kind of like, why are you amazed? And you'll see that throughout the gospels too. And in this occurrence, he says, why are you amazed? Trust God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. And so I said that these verses could hurt your prayer life if you don't understand their context. And uh, this, I think, is why. In this context, we can see Jesus came to accomplish his Father's will. He came for true worship from Israel and from his people. Do you guys remember when he's talking to the Samaritan woman and um, she talks about, you believe we should sacrifice on this mountain, we say this mountain, and Jesus kind of cuts all that off and he says, here's what the Father is looking for. The Lord is is a spirit and he's looking for those who will worship him in spirit and truth. It was like a mission statement for God's life, for Jesus' life on earth. He was looking to help and cause people to worship God in spirit and in truth. And what he's showing Peter is, is that anything that stands in the way of that, literally anything, and that's why he uses this um, euphemism for something impossible, a mountain being picked up and cast into the sea. It's a well-known, you know, it would have been a well-known saying to his disciples of like, so in other words, impossible things things that no one could accomplish. If what you're trying to accomplish is the same thing that Jesus was trying to accomplish, then absolutely nothing will be impossible to you. If your heart is God's heart, if you're learning his ways and you are saying no to yourself and to your life and saying yes to God and being filled with his spirit and wanting what he wants, 
then God is saying that nothing that stands in the way of God accomplishing what he wants to accomplish will not be done for you. And that's how you would believe in your heart that it's done, because you would have God's heart. So just a kind of a cap on this as far as context goes. Um, after, so there was that episode, the fig tree is cursed, the temple is cleansed, the fig tree is dead to its roots. The next episode is they're challenging Jesus's authority and uh, as to why he can say these sorts of things. And in, in the other gospels, the disciples say, you know, what about this temple? So the temple that he cleansed and Jesus says, not one stone will be left on top of another. You know, do you like this building? It's not where you're going to meet with God anymore. It, it looked like a house of prayer for all the nations, but it was a den of thieves and robbers. It's going to be destroyed. And it was. Not one stone was left on top of another. <coughs> Excuse me. So, in other words, nothing that would stand in the way. Now, when you go and read the rest of the Gospels, you'll notice this. Jesus goes against all kinds of obstacles and all sorts of things try to stand against him, even death. But because he, he was doing his Father's will, then every single thing that tried to stop Jesus from doing what he was supposed to do, including death, were all conquered and moved out of the way. And so that's the lesson. That's the power. That's the deeper context of this verse. I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. So the way that you can do major damage to yourself is believing that what God wants for you, that you're accomplishing God's will, is a more comfortable life. A more beautiful and comfortable life. I want a cat. I believe that I have received a Cadillac. I believe that I have received no sickness ever for the rest of my life. It's to take this verse and even the whole idea of prayer in the name of Jesus and to misplace it as a way to get what you want. The way James, the brother of Jesus, puts it, he says there's two reasons why you guys don't have what you ask for in prayer. Either you don't ask, meaning you neglect prayer. You're just busy working to get your way your way. He says you, ha- you don't have because you don't ask, or more uh, relevant to what we're talking about today, you ask wrongly because you want to spend it on your pleasures. So you can try to believe that you've received you know, things to spend on your pleasures all you want. It's a misuse of prayer, and James is telling you you're not going to receive anything from the Lord. But when your heart and your mind is, I want to serve God in this situation, then nothing, not the collapse of your country, not the uh, bad opinion of the people around you, not illness, cancer, not death, nothing can stop you from serving God. If you If your intent is to glorify God in all that you do, then, then in prayer, there's absolutely nothing that can stop you. And it's going to lead to some confusing moments. It has for me. So for I'll just give you one instance because we got to wrap it up here. There's been times in my life where, I, to me, it seems like, like so let's say, if God healed this dad of cancer, then it would obviously be good for the kingdom of God. Okay, that's what I believe. And so I'll pray for it. God, take cancer out of my brother's life. And when it doesn't happen... I could, A, question God in prayer and lose my faith and say, God doesn't do what he says he'll do, but then I have to wipe out all the other miraculous things I've seen him do in answer to prayer. Or the other thing I could do is, okay, God, it seems to me that what needs to happen here is this person being healed, but what does it seem to you? You know, I need to question myself, not prayer and God. And then what I've seen, I I can't speak for every circumstance, but what I've often seen is I'll pray for something that's bad in someone's life, say, God, get this out of their life because I believe that would be good. I think that's your will. It doesn't happen, and that's okay. I'm glad I asked anyway, so that way I didn't have because I didn't ask. I asked with all my heart, heal or take this out or give this person another job. 
And when it doesn't happen, a lot of times I've seen God glorify himself even though this bad thing was present in their life in all kinds of other ways. Fellow family members coming to faith in Christ, an entire church being taught how to suffer well, how to uh, be built up in their character in God. I mean, on and on and on. There's all kinds of good things that come from it because it's still following the will of God. All right. So whenever I ask for big things in God's name, which I need to and they don't happen, I need to question myself and not God. All right. Well, I got all excited about this first because prayer is important to me and and uh, so I hope I didn't go on too long, but I just think it's very, very important. So it's an important verse of the day, but I just don't want you guys to get hurt by it. Now, where can we see Jesus in this verse? Um, well, it's easy because he's the one who said it. So we do see Jesus in this verse, as I said. Um, anything that tries. Now you can go through, just pick a gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And an interesting thing you can do as you're reading through it is just notice all the many things that tried to come against Jesus to keep him from doing what he came to do. And you'll notice that as he prays, all of these things are moved out of his way. All right, that's it. That's the simple message that Jesus came and he did what he saw the Father doing. And so nothing ever stood against him. And that promise is held out to us. If we do what we see the Father doing and we pray in Jesus' name, then nothing that needs to be done to help you serve God will be, can be kept from being done. God will answer every prayer that is said in order to serve him and to forward his kingdom in the world. All right, friends, um, thank you so much for being along for the ride on the Crosspoint Church Scripture Podcast. As always, it's nice if you um, subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, and it's always nice if you recommend to your friends, say, hey, this guy's a little loony, but it's good stuff. (laughs) It helps me. So when you recommend it to your friends, that helps us too. We want to reach the maximum amount of people and have the biggest impact we can. So I appreciate you so much. If you're not praying for the podcast, would you? And we'll see you next time.